Uh, really good to see all of you. Uh, good morning again. Um, if you're new with us here today um, in person, or maybe you're checking us out for the first time online, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, great to have you with us. My name is James. Um, I serve as a lead pastor here. Uh, well, once again, um, now we have the, the privilege to be able to study and address God's word. Uh, what an honor that is. I was thinking about that again uh, last night. Um, not just for my, uh, my position or standing up here. Certainly, this is a privilege and an honor. Um, I have to always remind myself of that. But even for you, have you ever just thought about that? That like on a weekly basis, um, you get to, to show up to a place um, and, and open God's word, which not everybody in our world has access to, but you get to freely open it, uh, get on your phone uh, or, 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 or your different, different versions, um, and you have the opportunity, uh, you have the opportunity uh, to listen to, to receive uh, the truths of God's word. So what a, what a privilege and a blessing uh, that is. Um, so we're going to do that now. We're going to do that together. We're going to read God's word. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of First Peter. Maybe you already did that because that's what Ernie and Sharon read. First Peter chapter 3. At this point, we are, we are knee-deep uh, in our study of First Peter. Okay? Um, we've been in this book now for like 12 weeks. I think we have, which is like three months we have about eight weeks to go, I think, somewhere around there. Um, and really what we've seen uh, is the bottom line of this letter is that it's written to Christians from the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, one of the leaders of the first century church. Peter writes this letter to other followers of Jesus to, to help them to know how to navigate life in a world that is not their true home. He wants to help them. He wrote because he has a sort of a care and concern to help them, and then, of course, in turn, to help us to know how we're supposed to live as believers in Jesus. Again, in a world that has a, a totally different perspective, a totally different worldview, a totally different reality than a Christian. And so with that, uh, Peter starts, starts this letter by encouraging us of who we are in Christ. He writes about our, our redemption, you can see that there, and our, and our personal, uh, profound belonging to the Lord. That's chapters 1 uh, through the first half of uh, chapter 2. That's where he starts. And then on that basis of who we are, our redemption, Peter says, on that foundational truth of who you are, that we are redeemed, he says, let me tell you now what life looks like for a Jesus' redeemed one. Okay, that's where this letter is headed. And so with that then, he walks us through a number of controversial topics. They were controversial then, and actually, they're still controversial now. He talks about suffering. How do you handle suffering as a follower of Jesus? He talks about um, politics as a follower of Jesus. He talks about uh, what it means to be a Christian employee or a Christian boss. And then as we open up chapter 3, we see Peter gets to the topic of relationships. Relationships. 
And so over the last two weeks, we sort of landed in these first seven verses of 1 Peter 3. Sort of landed here. We've been here. And we've addressed a couple topics so far. We've looked at uh, singleness as a follower of Jesus. uh, What it means to be single in a world that is not your true home. Uh, and then last week, we looked at what it, what it means to be a godly wife. We, we looked at that, that big topic. What does it mean to be a godly wife? And of course, um, this is sort of a mini three-week series, singles, wives, and that leaves one more category, one more person, and that is the husband. The husband. Today we're talking about husbands. But before we, we, we get there uh, and, and look at what it means to be a godly husband— I just want you to think now, really briefly, wherever you're at, um, I want you to think, and I want you to ask yourself, where do I get my ideas, where have I developed my worldview, my philosophy, of what it means to be a husband, or what it means to be a wife? Uh, whether you're, you're single uh, or, or you're married, where do you get your views Where have you developed your worldview on this issue? Uh, Because whether we we, we like it or not, or know it or not, we have been influenced by the things and the people that are around us. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is your source? Maybe it's from your family experiences. Maybe it's cultural norms. Uh, maybe it's the, I hope not, but it is a lot of times, the mainstream media. Um, or, or maybe it's your own personal experiences. There are a lot of things out there that tell us, that communicate to us what it means to be married. And just to look at our, our current culture, even 2021, um, I think it's safe to say that the the result of us doing that has led to um, very little agreement on what marriage is, a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, and certainly a lot of brokenness. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think if we took a poll here, like we, you know, we always do those polls, trying to figure out, are you going to be in here or not, or FB 101, we have all these Google Forms and things now because everything's online. If I was to send out a poll this afternoon for FBC people um, and, and to talk about your experience with, with marriage and the marriages around you, I think that, unfortunately, we would find, we would uncover that, that most of us, the majority of us, didn't grow up in a context with a marriage that we wanted to emulate or imitate. That we actually haven't seen an example that we want to follow. That we're like, ah, there's some good things there, maybe a few things, but I'm not going to be a wife like that. or I'm not going to be a dad or husband like that. Um, Which means we need help. (laughs) We need help. And that's why we have the word of God. That's the good news for you today. That's why we have God's word, um, our ultimate, our real source. So let's jump into this. Uh, this word uh, this morning, and hopefully we can bring some, some really lasting clarity on the topic of marriage. And we're going to just start by, by rereading uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 7, okay? 
First Peter chapter three, verse seven. This is what it says. This is what it says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's where we're at today. Well, last week we, we addressed the wives, and we talked about the concept, that, again, the controversial, uh, not so controversial concept of biblical submission. Peter talks to these women, uh, that's his audience, who, who started to believe in Jesus after they got married. And their husbands, apparently, were, were still or remained unbelievers. And so Peter wrote to them or writes to them with this true care, this deep concern on how to wisely navigate that situation. Like, okay, you just became a follower of Jesus. You're a new creation. Right? You've been in a new heart. Your mind's been transformed. Your husband has not been transformed. And so what do you do? Very difficult situation to navigate, particularly in the first century, right? And, and because of that, Peter writes, if you, now we've put verses and numbers and all these things. That wasn't the original. Um, there were no, by the way, chapter numbers and verse numbers. Maybe some of you didn't know that, but there wasn't. It was just written as one free-form letter. Um, but we've, we've sectioned it out and, and come up with six verses explaining that. What should a wife do? What's her role? What's her responsibility? That's for the wife. But here, here we see just one verse, one, one verse directed towards husbands. And the reason for that, I know I joked uh, last week, it's because guys are, are slower. Um, but it's not, it's not really the reason. The reason is because, it's really simple actually, is that men were not facing the same challenges as women given their, their role uh, in the culture and in the home. And so the context is, is quite a bit different here this morning. And, but what you're going to see today, or what I hope that you see today, is that the instruction that's given here to husbands is just as radical, and I would argue even more radical, than the wives call and role to submit to her husband. Well, to really understand this further, we need to begin our study with just the first two words of this verse, in verse 7 this morning. Peter again says, and I think we have it simple, likewise, husbands. We stop there. We got to pause there. If you, were, if you weren't with us last week, or even if you were, um, if you go up to the top and you look at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, you see there, or you remember that Peter starts by addressing wives in the exact same way. There's no difference. He says, likewise, wives. Now it's here, likewise, husbands. And that's because both of these groups, wives, husbands, um, they're meant to bring their attention back to what Peter has previously said. 
And in this context, we know he's specifically referring to chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, where Peter says this. He says, you now, you are sojourners, you're visitors, you're exiles, you're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so in light of that, he says, keep your conduct honorable. Keep your conduct honorable. And why? Why? He tells them, so that when the world, when non-believers see your good deeds, see this honorable conduct, they might, in turn, glorify God. It means they might believe in Jesus. They might turn to Jesus. So we have to understand from the very beginning the very beginning as we enter into chapter 3, that this whole context here, the whole context, is all about living a life of submission, which means to yield, okay, to yield to, and to show honor to others. That's the context. And so that's why Peter tells the followers, after he says, keep your, uh, your, your conduct honorable, that's why he says, Literally, in verse, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, honor everyone, right? Honor everyone. Submit to your boss. He used that word. Submit to your boss. Submit to the government. And then he turns over to chapter 3. Likewise, wives, submit to your husbands. See that? There's this pattern. And now here, Peter once again says, likewise. But it's towards husbands. So again, this is really important, really important. We have to understand the overarching context here as Peter addresses husbands is the exact same context as before. This is all about submission and all about honor. That's the lens that we need to read this through. So now with that, we can begin to unpack what Peter commands or tells husbands to do. And what we're going to see, if you're taking notes, we're going to see that Peter gives husbands two commands. There's two here. And through them, what we're going to uncover or find today is, is what it means or what it looks like to be a godly husband. Okay? He says this, first of all, you want to be a godly husband or you want to know what a godly husband looks like. First of all, uh, godly husbands, they live with their wife or they live with their wives according to knowledge. And I put that in quotes. You'll see why in a second. According to knowledge. They live with their wives according to knowledge. Again, Peter says, likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, some of your translations, if you have a copy of God's Word, um, some of your translations might say there, be considerate. Okay? It will say, likewise, husbands, be considerate to your wife. Or be considerate, be considerate to your wife. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't say this a lot, but actually, that's a pretty poor translation. If you're, you should maybe get a new translation. I would, at least for this. It's not a great translation. Because, at least in English, when we think about being considerate, right, your first thought is, um, be a nice person. 
right? Or be considerate to somebody else. Um, and so that would mean, like, as a husband, you would think, like, okay, uh, Peter is telling me here that um, I have to be nice to my wife, that I have to, like, be considerate, which means I consider her, so, you know, I pull out her chair, or I go to the back and make sure that the doors are opened for her, right? That's what Peter's commanding me here to do. And sure, husbands should do those things. They should be considerate, but that's not the point here at all, <laughs> at all. See, what, what Peter, if you read in the original language here, what Peter is literally saying here is this. It would read this way. It says, Likewise, husbands, dwell with them, or dwell with your wife according to knowledge. That's literally how it reads. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. And I don't have time to take us through the the full word study here of that word knowledge, but it's worth your time. If you love studying the scriptures, study that word knowledge, um, particularly in this context. Because you see that in both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, Peter uses that phrase knowledge again and again, and almost every single time, it's always talking about the same thing. And so... It's fairly accepted in the, in the scholastic world, in the scholarly and the academic world, and therefore safe for me today to say this to you with assurance, that what Peter is referring to here is knowledge from above. That's what he's saying. Husbands, dwell with, live with your wife with or according to knowledge from above. That's what he's saying. Back in chapter 1, we see Peter explains the wonder, the glory of salvation, and all that is true of those who embrace Jesus by faith. And then he says in verse 14, he says, Do not be conformed to your what? To your former ignorance he says, which is counter, which is counter to the knowledge that Peter wants us to have here. And the point is this, that as non-Christians or or non-believers, what we know is, Peter tells us, I'm not saying this, Peter says, they live in ignorance. And that's not name-calling, okay? It just means that outside of Jesus, people are unaware of the truth. They are unaware. They're not mindful. They have no knowledge of reality. That without Christ, without Jesus, we are ignorant of the reality of God, of the reality of our sin, the reality of our need for Jesus, in the reality of the gospel. But counter to that, in Jesus, in Christ, we are no longer ignorant of those things. That now we have been given knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the gospel, and, and knowledge of the things that God has revealed to us including things like marriage. Peter says here, 
Live according to knowledge, husbands. He's telling them, move away. What I just talked about in chapter 1, move away from your former ignorance and move towards knowledge. Move towards what works best and what helps you and your family flourish. That's what he's saying. Live according to what is true about Jesus and what is true of you in Jesus. So I could sum it up this way. Peter is saying this. He's saying, husbands, and this is written in the present tense, by the way, so it means you've never arrived, you've never fully gained this knowledge. It's something that you're working towards, husbands, over and over and over again. It's a daily thing. Husbands, he says, keep living with your wives in accordance with the knowledge that you, have be- that you now have as Christians. Say it again. Husbands, keep living with your wives in accordance with the knowledge that you have now as Christians. And so with that, we have to start talking then. We have to start, not even with what Peter says next, but we have to start with what we know. What we know. Because there are some things here that Peter assumes that we do know as Christian husbands. There's an assumption here. And the first is, he assumes that we know or understand that we have a knowledge of what marriage is. A knowledge of what marriage is. We have to start there. Husbands are to live with their lives, live with their wives, with a knowledge of what marriage is. This is certainly review for, for a lot of us, but maybe it's new for others. But either way, this is essential to our foundation here. And, and we really can't, we really can't, let's be honest, we really can't take anything for granted now uh, in our current culture about, oh, I can just assume now because we're all gathered in church or you're watching a church service online that we all are in agreement or all know what marriage is. We can't assume that anymore, and I'm not going to. So we're going to briefly talk about what is marriage. We're going to review it. We touched on this briefly last week, but we start with the understanding uh, that marriage is not, it's not a a man-made thing. Marriage is not a human idea. It's also not, this is important, it's also not something that human beings define. We actually don't even have the right to define it. We didn't create it. That in Jesus, in Jesus, we view marriage according to the knowledge of God's design, God's creation, because he created it. And there are two key references that help us with that, that help us flesh out uh, what is or what a biblical marriage is. And we see that in Genesis 1, through, 1 and 2. And we also see that in Ephesians 5. Um, again, I can't preach through all of it, but to just briefly sum this up, we see, starting in Genesis 1 and 2, that God makes, designs, creates man and women men and women, in his very own image. And he creates them equal in value, dignity, and worth. And yet, he creates them distinct in terms of their form and their 
function. And what we see from the very beginning in Genesis 2 is that God uh, created marriage and it was designed, originally defined as one man, one woman, with their God, one God, for a lifetime. That's the definition. And then in in Ephesians chapter 5, turning to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul takes us into this deeper understanding of what marriage is. Things have sort sort of gotten mixed up, confused in culture. And so the Apostle Paul gives definition to this, and he points back to the original creation. And here he tells us that in Ephesians 5, that marriage is not just one man, one woman, with their God for a lifetime, but that marriage is actually meant to say something, to communicate something to the watching world around us. That actually, you can see verse 32 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, that, that marriage is meant to be a living parable a living parable of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the corporate church. And Paul says that husbands serve as the Christ-portraying figure there, and that wives serve as the church-portraying figure. Husbands there, in Ephesians 5, are compared to the head, or to a head, and wives there are compared to the body. And in that, in that, we see husbands are called, commissioned, to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. And that wives then are called, we talked about this last week, to submit to their husbands as the church is called to submit itself to Christ. We spent all last week fleshing that out, biblical submission, the wife's role, responsibility. So we're carrying that now into here. And think about this. Think about this. We have this definition of marriage. We see what it is. But we have to sit here for a second and realize and realize, recognize that the most profound, ultimate meaning of marriage is to display that relationship. The relationship between Jesus and the church. That's why marriage exists. And there is no other ultimate reason. None. So yes, yes, marriage is for our good. Marriage is for procreation. It's for joy. But ultimately, underlining all of that is this. The reality that marriage is for, its purpose is to display Jesus and the church, and that unity that they share. This is why you, some of you, this is why some of you are married, 
And this, for you singles, this is the ultimate reason that you get married. Because of your deep longing and desire to display the love of Christ and the church. That's the only purpose of marriage, or the ultimate purpose of marriage. So that means then that, that marriage is not just a piece of paper. It's not an invention of man. Marriage is not a social construct. Right? It's far more profound than that. Marriage is one man, one woman, with God for a lifetime, serving as a parable of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. So husbands, husbands, men, this is directed towards you. Do you know what marriage is? Not just intellectually, but do you know what marriage is? Do you know the purpose of why God created it? And if not, you have to start there. If you want to live with your wife in an understanding way, you have to know what marriage is. Second, this knowledge, this understanding that we are called husbands to have in our homes extends beyond what marriage is to what godly headship is. So that's sort of our letter B, okay, under point one. Okay, we have to have a knowledge of what godly headship is. We're going to stay in Ephesians chapter 5. I know we're going back and forth, so you might as well just keep your place in both. 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5. We're going to go back and forth today. There is crucial context here in Ephesians 5 for understanding this point in 1 Peter 3. So, so look at verse 23 with me, Ephesians 5. We see here that a husband not only needs to understand what marriage is, but also what his role is within the marriage. Look at verse 23. It says this, Ephesians 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So what is this saying? What does the Apostle Paul mean here? What this means is just as Jesus is the head, the leader of the church, so the husband is the head or the leader of his wife. It's actually very simple, very plain. But then what does that mean? Well, actually, this entire section of Ephesians 5 explains that to us, answers that to us. And again, I encourage you to study it for yourself. But the bottom line here is that the husband is meant to be the sacrificial leader. If I could sum it up in two words, what is a husband or a biblical husband, I would use that phrase. They are a sacrificial leader. That to be the head is to be ultimately responsible for the leadership, the protection, and provision of his wife and his family. That's the husband's role. Now, um, in our culture, in our culture, when we think of leadership, 
Right? We often have a lot of negative connotations to that. And again, maybe that's based on experience. But we need to correct ourselves. Okay? Listen to God's word. Okay? Look at God's word and see, realize that leadership is always intended to be good and for our good. Godly leadership is all about, all about the flourishing of those under the care of that leadership. And that's exactly what's in view here. And I want to make some clarifications here as well. You know, last week, um, when we defined biblical submission for the wife, um, we, we talked in part about what it's not, what it's not. And so we're going to do the same here with, with headship, biblical headship. So here's what biblical headship is not. Headship is not male domination or male domineering, nor is biblical headship the belittling of the wife. Those three things would actually be sinful. You'd be outside of the will of God, actually. Also, headship does not mean that the husband is superior to his wife. Not at all. That again, they are equal. They are equal based on what marriage is. We know they are equal in every way. Although they have been given distinct God-given roles. Moreover, headship does not mean that the husband does everything or decides everything on his own. He's like, hey, I'm the head here, right? It's my way or the highway, right? We're doing things my way. I make all the the calls here. I call the shots. That's not biblical headship. No, as we discussed last week, the husband and wife, they are a team, right? They're a team. And then finally, I'll say this, that Headship does not mean that the husband is Jesus. Okay, I want to be really clear. That's directed at both the husbands and wives here. And to singles. Your husband is not Jesus. He can never be Jesus. You'll be really disappointed if you think he will be, or can be, your Savior. You'll be very disappointed. At the same time, though, again, he is a figure that should point you to Jesus. But never himself, Jesus. There's a big difference there, okay? So biblical headship is none of those things. But what it is, what it is, is having the role and responsibility for the flourishing, leadership, protection, and provision of his wife and family. That's what a good, godly husband and leader does. He stewards this God-given, delegated responsibility for the Lord. Or to try to give you a more simplified definition. I know some of you like that, so we'll put one on the screen. Okay, this is for you. Those of you who like to write things down. You need it more clear. This is godly headship. Okay? Headship Biblical headship, godly headship, is a call to sacrificial love and servant leadership for the good, the joy, and the flourishing of those entrusted 
to your care. It's a call to sacrificial love and servant leadership for the good, the joy, and the flourishing of those entrusted to your care. And again, that doesn't mean that a wife has no responsibility, okay? Let's be clear. We have to, we have to just cut through. I realize in these topics, the last couple of weeks, like, we have to cut through all this mud and muck and fogginess because of how both the culture and the church just made a mess of all of this, right? So I, I have to say all these things that are obvious to some of you, um, but, but, but not always lived out, right? So, so this does not mean, godly headship does not mean that a wife has no responsibility. It just means that the husband has a unique and primary responsibility for protecting, providing, and shepherding his home. I hope that's clear. And I want to say this as well, because I think this is important to say as well. Because because this is a God-given, God-designated role, okay, because it's God-given, God-created, God-designated, this also means that the husband is the head regardless of his want or his desire. That's really important for me to say. So let's be really straightforward. Let me be very straightforward with you this morning. Husbands, husbands, it's not if you are the head. It's what kind of head are you? It's not if. It's what kind are you? You don't have a choice in this matter. It's not for you to define or decide. You are the head. So what kind of head are you? It's not, husbands, if you should lead. But what kind of leader are you in your home? Don't miss that. So husbands, this means, this is coming from me now, this means that you should be the primary pastor in your home of your family. Not me. (laughs) If you call Freedom Village Church your home, church. You should be the primary pastor of your family. Which means you need to be, see the overarching theme here, you need to be continually submitted to Jesus. To have him pouring into your life so that you actually have something to give. It means that you are responsible for praying for your family. Watching over, caring for, protecting your family. And listen, listen to me. This means, husbands, men, guys. This means that you are primarily responsible to make sure that your family, your wife, is connected to and committed to a local church. And I will say that to you as your pastor. That is your responsibility. You're the one setting the alarm, getting up in the morning, making sure that you're here when you can be here safely. You hold that responsibility. You set the tone in your house. You establish what we prioritize. You are ultimately setting the example. 
You set the example on what's important. We wonder why. We wonder. This is off my notes, which means it's a problem. (laughs) We wonder why the church in America is in such decline and decay, and why the, the church in Korea is doing the same thing with the young generation. Don't look at the church first. Sure, there's a problem there, but look at the home as well. What's the priority? Right? When I'm growing up, there's a reason there's conflict, right? It's like, what, what is it? Well, we have auditions. We have traveling sports leagues. Some of these things we can't, we can't help. Or, you know what? We're burned out from our busy work week. You know what's a better thing for us to do? Go to the lake, get on our boat, and take a weekend vacation. All those things, husbands, I'm talking to you, th- you think are good and right. And some of them, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing any sports. I played every sport you could imagine, four seasons. But at some point, some point, you are establishing, you're communicating to your wife, to your children, what the priority is of your home and your own life by where you go, what you talk about, who you're with. That's just a fact. And so if you are not establishing in your home the priority of committing to, serving with, being discipled in a local church, what do you expect of your kids? How can they go beyond you? It it won't happen. It's not happening. But by the grace of God. Some of you are a miracle. A walking miracle. You didn't have parents who were were followers of Jesus. And by the grace of God, maybe it was a friend, a co-worker, university student, led you to the Lord, shared the gospel, and now you're here. By the grace of God. But I guarantee you, the vast majority of us here, you watching online, I guarantee the vast majority came from a home that said they're followers of Jesus. So husbands, what are you establishing in your home? You set the tone. It's your responsibility, primarily, in partnership with your wife. It also means then in the home, you are building a culture of repentance, a culture of grace, a culture of mercy, a culture of love, culture of forgiveness in your home. And again, again, husbands, you're not alone in this. You're not doing all the thinking. You're not doing all the acting. Not at all. But you should be taking the initiative. You should be feeling the weight, the burden of these things because God's design and designation for marriage is that you have this role and responsibility. It's on you. So Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way, according to knowledge. And we've looked at knowledge of what marriage is, knowledge of a husband's godly headship, and then I want to end this point by looking at knowledge of Jesus as our example. Knowledge of Jesus as our example. In a lot of ways, this is really the key, the key to all of this. Simply put, husbands, husbands, you need to look at Jesus. (laughs) Simple, but, but profound. You need to look at Jesus. If a husband wants to know how to fulfill his role and his responsibility... Husbands, don't look at the culture. Right? Don't, 
don't find or try to find the ideal sitcom or drama husband. And I'm going to imitate that guy. Man, that guy in The Bachelor, he had it all together, right? So romantic. The helicopter and the whole thing, you know? I'm going to do that. Okay? Don't, don't, don't have that lens. Look at Jesus. Go back to Ephesians 5. Paul tells husbands there that the primary model for your leadership is Jesus' leadership or headship. Of the church. Look at what he says in verse 25, Ephesians 5 25. Look at what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, husbands, your headship, your leadership, your headship should be marked by the love that Jesus showed the church his bride. And your, your headship, your leadership should be marked by Jesus' leadership of his church. And we really can't overemphasize this. I really can't. That, that men, your understanding, your understanding, your comprehension of, of Jesus' love for you, for us, the church, will directly inform how you love, pursue, and lead your wife. Or to say it another way, how a husband experiences himself, how he experiences the love of God, will, di- will be displayed in how he loves his wife. Make sense? So let me give you some examples of Jesus' headship and what it's like. First of all, we know that Jesus' headship is gracious. It's gracious. We know that. We don't deserve his love, but he gave himself up for us. When we, are, when we were far away from him, he ran after us. He pursued us. But not only that, we also know that he doesn't withhold anything back from us. Jesus is filled filled with grace, mercy, and compassion. We also know that Jesus' headship is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. That Jesus, very God, very man, came to this earth and died in our place for our good, for our joy, for our flourishing. We also know Jesus' headship is it's redemptive. It's redemptive, meaning that Jesus didn't just forgive us and then leave us alone. Like, okay, you've been forgiven. You're good. I'm out of here. No. No. He is continually helping us. He's helping us continually to work, our out, work out our salvation. He's purifying you, partnering with you to help you grow and help you mature for glory. So in the same way, husbands, in the same way, love and lead. Love and lead. Love and lead with the same grace, mercy, and compassion as you receive from Jesus. Die to yourself daily. 
Love sacrificially. You know the, why I said this is extreme? The, call, the ultimate call of the wife is to submit to her husband. The ultimate call of the husband is to die. You tell me which is more radical and extreme. Husbands, your call today, if you hear anything else from me today, it's that. Die. Die to yourself. Love sacrificially, which means when there is conflict in your home, lay down your pride. Die to yourself. You set that tone. When you come home tired, long day of work, you are burnt out. What do you do? You die to yourself. You lay down your life and you rely on God's grace to be fully present in your home. Truly partner with your wife. It's not over. It's not over when you say, I do, on the wedding day. Come alongside of her. Help her grow. Help her to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Or, I could simply say, husbands, here's the overarching theme, submit. Husbands, submit yourself to God's role and his responsibility for your life. Husbands, submit yourself to God's role and responsibility for your life. Love and lead your wives the way that Jesus loves and leads the church. A godly husband lives with his wife in an understanding way, according to knowledge. He is looking at marriage through the lens of the gospel. He's looking at marriage through God's design. He's looking at marriage through the lens of who God designed him to be. And then, the second point that I want to address here from Peter to husbands is this. Number two, two commands. Living according to knowledge, husbands. Number two, godly husbands show their wives honor. Godly husbands show their wives honor. Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, there it is, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And so we see here then two reasons, and we're going to go through these pretty quickly, but two reasons why husbands are called to honor their wives. First of all, we see because they are the weaker vessel, Peter says. We, husbands, you honor your wife because she is the weaker vessel. Now, uh, we touched on this a few weeks ago um, when we talked about godly singleness. So I won't stay here too long. We talked about it last week a little bit. When we talked about godly wives. So go back and listen to those messages if you want more insight into this. But by weaker vessel, Peter Peter seems to be saying something about the physical makeup of women. And so this has nothing to do with inferiority. It has nothing to do with her value. And it's not even saying that women are weaker okay, in, in every single way. Just that women, in general, are more physically vulnerable than men. And we said this last week, that it means that they're like 
fine china. Or like, think of it like, they're like crystal, okay? And, and so, so how should, should men treat them then? Well, as valuable, as valuable. They should be honored, treasured, cared for. You should be delicate with them. They should be protected. And particularly in the context that Peter was writing in, right, where men had all of the power, men had all of the authority, it could also mean, husbands, don't take advantage of your wife. And that could mean a lot of different things. Don't take advantage of her. Don't take advantage of her emotionally, okay, intellectually. Don't take advantage of her physically. Okay, never. Because why? Because she is prized and because she is precious. And I just want to say again, there should be no offense to these words from Peter, uh, ladies. It's to you. There should be no offense taken here. There should be no misunderstanding. Peter holds an extremely high view of godly women. Extremely high view. Like precious, valued, to be honored. And, and think about it, right? Because we've been talking about this. The introduction says something about this every single week. Who did Peter learn this from? Jesus himself. Right? Because he walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. Right? Jesus was a radical when it came to, to, to an, a, a new perspective of who women are. What's their role in society? He was radical. And so now Peter, observing that, now takes that and tries to live his life personally the same way and now writes to Christians, to husbands, saying, we need to do the same. Let's follow in the pathway of our Lord. So husbands, uh, the message here, it's, it's simple. Treat your wives like fine crystal, as precious, as someone. Treat them Treat them as someone who's been trusted under your care. Why? Again, so that she would flourish under your sacrificial leadership. And then, husbands, honor your wife. Why? Honor your wife. Why? Because she is a co-heir with you. Because she is a co-heir with you. Now, now in order to, to feel the weight of this, what Peter's saying here, uh, to, re- to really get this, we have to read this through the perspective or through the lens of first century eyes. You've got to go back 2,000 years with me just for a second. To understand that what Peter says here was socially radical, unheard of. And the reason for that was because not only were women viewed as inferior, they were, but, and here's the point why this is so radical, but also understand that women in that society, they never inherited anything. They had no right ever any time. Doesn't matter. Oh, sh- there's only girls in the family. Doesn't matter. We give it to the brother. Well, there's no, there's no brother. Well, is there an uncle? <laughs> nope. Okay, then who's the first cousin? 
It goes to a guy. It never went to a female. Women were not allowed to inherit anything, ever. And so let's understand this command from Peter. If this, by the way, this would have been read publicly first in the church. It'd be like me standing up there and be like, okay, guys, here's the thing. Right? We're this dispersed church. We're all being persecuted. The apostle Peter has sent us a letter inspired by God himself, and this is what he says. And imagine me. Right? I'm leading here. I read through it, and I get to this point. And they hear this for the first time. Husbands, honor your wife because she's a co-heir. She's receiving an inheritance, not apart from you, not a lesser inheritance than you, but she is receiving an inheritance in partnership or, or with you. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> I literally wrote that down. That would be ridiculous. No other better way for me to say that. It's crazy. But Peter confronts the culture and shares the reality of the gospel that, that husbands, she, she is a co-heir to the grace of life. And so husbands, this is a call. This is a call for you to look at your wife through the lens of the gospel. It's a call to realize, it's a call to realize, wrap your mind around this, it's a call to realize that you are living with an heir of Jesus Christ himself. As the result of Jesus' death on her behalf. Yours too, but the attention is her, on her behalf. Jesus died for her. The same way that he died for you. She has been offered the same grace, the same mercy, and because of the work of Jesus, has the same spiritual status, same standing before God. So husbands, if you're, if you're home now or you're, you're here, you go home tonight, understand who you're with. You're with, with an heir an heiress to the kingdom of God. So husbands, husbands, view your wife in light of the grace that you've been given and the grace that you share. But also, but also, there's another part of this. Also, view your wife in light of eternity. See her through the lens of eternity. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. While you and your wife are distinct, in that you have been given uh, unique, God-given roles, God-given responsibilities now, here on earth, understand in the kingdom, in eternity, it will no longer be this way. Because in the kingdom... Our roles and our responsibilities that we are meant to fulfill as husbands and wives here, they will be left behind as we enter into the new hope of heaven. That actually, if you listen to Jesus' teaching, there seems pretty clear to me there is no marriage in the kingdom. 
So view her in light of eternity, that she's not primarily your wife. She's primarily his. An heir to the kingdom, along with you. So husbands, don't look at your wife in terms of the present time and the present culture. Look at your wife in light of her ultimate destiny and her gospel reality. Again, she's a co-heir with you, a co-heir in the kingdom. That's who your wife is in Christ, who God has made her to be. And realizing that, seeing her that way, seeing your wife through all of these, these right gospel-centered lenses makes all the difference. It will. It'll make all the difference in your heart and in your marriage. So honor her, value her, respect her, not just for moments here and there where you feel like it, but always. Peter says, as husbands, you are to live with your wife according to knowledge, and you are also called to honor her. And then he ends with what I'll call a warning. There's a warning here. It's a final word. It's a final word, parting words, to those who might be tempted to ignore these commands and their God-given calling. Peter says, do these things. Do these things. Why? Well, for her good, for her flourishing, for your good, for your flourishing, to glorify God, but also so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a lot of weight here. (laughs) Husbands are to love and lead their wives as Jesus does the church so that their prayers may not be hindered. And if you don't do this, husbands, Peter says that the Lord will be gracious to you. He will get your attention by refusing to answer your prayers. Which means, it's another way of saying, your relationship with God himself will be affected. It's pretty severe. So husbands, this is plain. Your spiritual effectiveness, in part, depends on this what we're talking about today. That actually, you can live in such a way that hinders you. And and I know I said this is a warning, but I guess, but I guess, uh, actually, yes, it's a warning, but underlining this, there's actually an encouragement here as well. Because what this also assumes here is that by the grace of God, if husbands do these things, then their prayers will not be hindered, but helped and answered. And how amazing is that? It's incredible. God will listen to you. He'll turn his ear towards you. Not only that, though, but he'll come through. He'll be faithful to what you ask. So guys... Those of you who are married, if you want deeper fellowship, communion, a relationship 
with God, part of the pathway to that is loving and leading your wife. That's what Peter's saying. And understand, this is such, this is such, I hope you can see this. This is such a high calling. At the same time, it's such a privilege, but it also requires a great, a great amount of grace. So husbands, husbands, the question for you is, how do you see your wife? How do you view your wife? How do you treat your wife? The Lord is calling you to love, to lead, and to pursue your wife. This is a call to sacrificial love and to servant leadership for the good, the joy, and the flourishing of those entrusted to your care. And husbands, you know, you might, you might fall. You might fail in this leadership. Actually, no, a better way to say it. You will. <laughs> you will fall. You will fail in this type of leadership. But let that understanding know that Understand that, and then let that drive you, move you more and more, closer and closer to the person of Jesus Christ. Follow his example. He has all the answers. Put your hope in him. He's he's never failed. He's never failed, and he never will. So guys, husbands, ask yourself today, how can I love and lead my wife as Jesus has loved and led me. And then, and then, hopefully you get some good gospel-centered answers there, and then commit to do and be for your wife what Jesus has done and is for you. That's being a godly husband. I want to close with this. Um, It's a quote It's just a short quote from John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Excellent book, by the way. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said this, he directed this, these words, to Christian husbands. He says this, listen. Husbands, be such a believing husband to your believing wife that she may say, God has not only given me a husband, but such a husband as preaches to me every day the way of Christ to his church. So single ladies, you're single here today, and that means unmarried, not you're dating someone, not you're engaged. Single ladies, unmarried women here, Look for that guy. That's your standard. Someone, someone who preaches to you every day, not just with his words, but with his life, the way of Christ to his church. Look for that guy. Married women, encourage your man to be that guy. 
Encourage him. Don't, right now you're going to leave this place. Some of you are going to shut off the computer and you're going to be like, you see what you got to do? You know, don't do that. I already told you he will fail and fall. He is. He might have done that this morning. Okay? You probably, some of you had an argument right before you turned this on. It's his fault. <laughs> okay? Encourage him. By the grace of God. How can I help you be that guy? For your good, my good, and the good of our God. Single guys. Work towards becoming this guy. Especially here in Korea. We know if you've been here a amount of time, or if you have a Korean you know preparation for marriage, it means a lot of different things. But it never, it never requires this. It doesn't even matter if you're in the church. That's me being really, really, bra- really straightforward and brash. You know that. Get to be the right age, have the right job, have the right money, so that when you, you can get married, take care of her, right, have kids right away, all those things. That's what's required to get married. No, we've got to be talking about this. The other things, yeah, they need to be in order. I get that. He has that responsibility, part of that responsibility with you. But this is primary. Single guys, become, work towards becoming this guy. And husbands, husbands today, husbands, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, be that guy. Point your wife every day to the way of Christ. The way of Christ. The way he loves and leads his church. Let me pray for you.